Good morning, Northgate Baptist. It is wonderful to see you all here uh, this morning. And even for those of you who I can't see, who are viewing us online, uh, we are just so glad you are able to join us. Uh, it's been a long week. A lot of people sick. The COVID's going around. Mark, as you heard, Mark Baird uh, is not feeling well. Uh, just other people's has been a long week, an emotional week. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's been tough for a lot of people. And but I hope that you are still excited about getting into the Word of God once again with us this morning. And to do that, I would invite you to turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians uh, as we continue our series looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Um, and we have a lot to cover this morning, so I'm just going to jump right in. If you want to follow along in our passage this morning, it's going to be uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 and we're going all the way to chapter 3, verse 8. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask once again, Lord, that you would in your faithfulness continue to be with us as we open up the word of God that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come alongside us to be the spirit of truth, to be our teacher, uh, to, to, to guide and nudge our hearts and our minds so that we could truly hear this truth that you would have us here this morning. And Lord, I just pray for me that, Lord, you would lend me your strength in, the, in this time. I pray for those who are out there that, Lord, hearts would be ready and prepared uh, to hear these words. And I pray that, Lord, they would be words of comfort and words of hope, words of assurance, uh, and words of truth that leave us transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, there's that old saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. I know, and that is so often true. But you know what? 
Absence can also be something that is really hard to endure as well. Because when you're absent, when you're, when you're separated from the ones that you love, for whatever reason, so often our hearts hurt. We, we miss the people uh, in our lives when they're not there. And that is where we find the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter to the church uh, in Thessalonica. Because to, to really, just to put it simply, uh, Paul is missing them. He's missing his friends. He's missing these, these Christians, brothers and sisters that he spent time with. And after recalling uh, sort of how they responded to the gospel that he preached in the passage um, from last week, Paul now sort of with great fondness in this section of the letter, he begins to recall you know, both you know, their brief time that they had together as a church as well as their sort of untimely parting. Because if you'll remember, uh, the account in the book of Acts of, of Paul's time in Thessalonica uh, from Acts chapter 17, we know that his time in that city was, was cut short prematurely. And if you want to look at the screen... Acts 17, beginning in verse 2, says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to, to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And from there, that angry, violent mob, they went and they attacked the home that Paul was staying in. When Paul wasn't there, they, they dragged the homeowner before the courts and they accused Paul and others of committing crimes against Caesar. And the result was that Paul and his team were forced to flee the city. And that's why Paul says, beginning in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. I think Paul uses that word, those words torn away to indicate the, the abruptness, the, the, the harshness of this parting. It wasn't a mutual parting. This was a violent separation that neither party had planned. And even more, Paul tells us there was this, this constant battle, even spiritual warfare that was waged to keep Paul and this church apart. And the book of Acts tells us that after Paul uh, left Thessalonica, he fled to Berea. And I, I think I put a map in the, in the thing if you want to kind of know where it was. Uh, there's Philippi. That's where Paul was asked politely, less politely to leave. They went to Thessalonica and then Berea. And then Athens is down there in Corinth. Uh, Berea, that's where they went after Thessalonica. And Berea was kind, of the, was kind of the place where Paul and his team could lay low. It wasn't sort of in the middle of any kind of major happenings. In fact, even that town even had that reputation. Uh, the historian Cicero actually records that when officials from Rome were in Thessalonica and the people began to riot, they fled to Berea. 
until the crowds calm down. And in Berea, Paul never wanted to miss an opportunity to, to share the gospel. He spent time ministering to the people there who, who responded very faithfully to, to the word of God and examined the scriptures, we're told. But even then, after waiting a little while, they were still hindered from going back to Thessalonica. So Paul would eventually uh, head on to Athens, uh, where he preached in Mars Hill. And after some time there, uh, he, he finally landed in Corinth. But during all of that time, just because the Thessalonians were sort of out of Paul's sight, he tells us, you're not out of my hearts. Verse 17, he says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. But it just wasn't meant to be. And as much as Paul greatly wanted to return to this church, he couldn't. And if he couldn't sort of be there in person, he decides, I'm going to settle for the next best thing and he comes up with a plan that he tells us about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. And you can kind of think of Timothy as a spiritual secret agent here. He's kind of slipping. I always imagine shells going off. He's slipping through enemy territory, you know, back to the city of Thessalonica undercover. Because Paul, he, he wanted to know how this church is doing. Remember, you couldn't just pick up the phone and call people back then. And this church only had three weeks worth of teaching from Paul. Before it was sort of, before they were torn apart, before this church was left to fend for itself all in its own. So I would think that that would be a good reason for Paul to be concerned, for him to wonder, you know, what was the fate of these believers after he left? Even as he says in verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Timothy goes and visits the church. And the good news in all of this is that when Timothy finally gets back to Paul and reports all that he saw in Thessalonica, there was a reason to rejoice. Verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and he has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And how excited Paul must have been when he got that report. For, you know, it doesn't get more exciting than that as a pastor. I mean, when you see people accepting the gospel, when you see faith being lived out, when you see lives being changed, when you see God at work in the lives of the people that you've ministered to as a pastor, that feels like the best thing in the world. And that's how this church in Thessalonica was continuing to respond they had embraced their faith in Christ with all of their hearts. In fact, just skipping back a few verses, you can see why Paul says in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, for what is our hope or joy or a crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is Paul saying to this church, I'm so proud to be your pastor. And to see how you are now living your lives. You have encouraged me 
with the way you have responded to my ministry. Because as a pastor, that's, that's why we do what we do. When we stand before God's throne, it's the people that we have ministered to, that's what we will have to show for the work of our lives. So Paul's saying, good job. But you know, as much as there was reason to rejoice, as Paul shares those fond memories of his time uh, in Thessalonica and the reason for his encouragement, we also see that underlying all of this, there was a reason for concern. Because there's sort of something else going on in this passage as well. Because underlying everything that Paul is saying here, about his time with the church and his memories and you know fond memories and all that stuff. Underlying all of that is the fact that the church in Thessalonica was living in the grip of great affliction. You see, that trouble that Paul had stirred up with his preaching for those three weeks, it didn't go away when Paul left town. But it seems to have remained a constant and daily threat to the believers who were left behind. In other words, suffering was something that was now a front and center reality in the daily lives of this church. And Paul even says in verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass just as you know. You know, all of that victorious living that this church had done, it was done in spite of a great sorrow that they were having to live through. And you know, reading that verse, verse 3 this week, I was kind of struck by Paul's words to this church that they were destined for this. Paul's message to this church was suffering is inevitable unavoidable, inescapable. It's an inescapable reality for them as believers. You know, just as a fireman should not be surprised when they see something burn, or a policeman should not be surprised when they see a law broken, or a soldier should not be surprised when they experience conflict, he's saying, so the Christian should not be surprised when they experience suffering. Because Jesus himself was known as the suffering servant. Bible says he was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And I think Paul is telling us here that as Christians, as followers of Christ, if we're going to share in Jesus' life, we will also, because of that, share in part of his sorrow. And the world that hated Jesus and persecuted him and crucified him is also going to hate us as his followers. And they're going to treat us in the same way. And you know, Paul is not alone in his warning. Psalm 34, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus says in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble. Matthew 10, 22, All men will hate you because of me. 2 Timothy 3, 12, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4, chapter, verse 1, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And this is the kind of suffering that Paul is addressing in this passage. 
suffering for your faith. And I actually agree with one pastor who wrote, this is a subject that I feel very unqualified to write about. As I sit in my warm living room, sheltered, well-fed, and safe, it's hard to imagine lying on a cold floor of a prison, being beaten, cast out of my family because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Another pastor put it like this, everywhere Paul went, there were riots. Everywhere I go, they serve tea. We are not all sort of going to face the same level of persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But there are two lessons that I would have you hear from these verses. The first is this. All over the world today, there are still Christians who are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Still today, there are believers who are being beaten and imprisoned and robbed and raped and even killed because of their faith in Jesus. Some of you may not know this, but Christians to this day are still the largest, most persecuted people group on the planet, around the world. And I think the lesson there is we need to remember and pray for the persecuted church. We need to keep ourselves informed about what's going on. You can go to places like the Voice of the Martyrs and just read about the plight of your brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. It's a wake-up call. And we need to pray for them and support them. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is simply that suffering and affliction are still very real realities in our lives for each and every one of us. Some advice I heard when I started the ministry I think has always been true. It says, preach often on pain and suffering and you will never lack a congregation. And chances are there are people here right now who are hurting, who are going through a hard time, who are facing circumstances that have wounded them, either physically or emotionally or even spiritually. Because suffering, no matter what its source, can have a real effect and impact upon our lives and upon our faith. And Paul's words here in First Thessalonians as he writes, I think that he could actually, he's pointing out four dangers that we can face when we go through times of affliction or suffering uh, as people of faith. And the first, I think, danger that he points out is that suffering can disturb our faith and even cause us to doubt. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, he says in verse 3 that no one be moved by these afflictions. Uh, the NIV translates that, so that no one be, would be unsettled by these trials. That word in the Greek for ESV is moved, NIV translates unsettled. Uh, the, the actual in the Greek, the picture there is, is a wagging tail. Um, it's this idea of so going back and forth between something. It's a wavering, it's, it's an unsureness. Because sometimes when we... You know, we can be so shaken by circumstances that we are going through. We just don't know which way to turn. When trials come, they can often leave us sort of not knowing what to think, sort of not knowing which way to turn. And so often we ask ourselves the question like, God, what's going on? Is it me? Are you doing this? Is it my sin that's causing me to suffer like this in my life? Is it something else? Like, and we just want answers. 
We just want to know why. But so often God feels like he's silent. And it can leave us in a place where we just feel unsure about our faith. Which leads us to the second thing that suffering can do. And that's it can discourage us. And in verse 2, he uh, says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica to exhort, or a more familiar word to us is to encourage the people. And I think he did that because Paul knew that suffering so often leaves people feeling discouraged. And discouragement is this idea of losing heart, of going through a circumstance where you get to a place where you just don't know if you have the strength to go on. Because it can be hard to face challenges. It can be hard to endure trials. It can be exhausting to go through hardships, especially in those times when it feels like those problems just sort of keep coming one after another, or even all at the same time. Troubles can sap your strength and leave you feeling just discouraged and wondering if it'd just be easier to give up. Which leads us to the third thing that suffering can do in our lives, and that is suffering can leave us disconnected. Disconnected from other people. Look at verse 6, where he says, But now that Timothy has come, uh, to, uh, come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and you long to see us as we long to see you. Why was Paul so happy that the Thessalonians still wanted to see him? That they still wanted to be together? It's, I think it's because Paul knew that suffering often leaves people in a place where they become isolated and alone. And, you know, so many of us do exactly this thing. You know, when we're hurting, our tendency is to withdraw from others. Instead of reaching out to others, we, we sort of we pull ourselves into our shell. And we don't, we don't want to face people. Uh, we, we stop attending church you know, where there's others who can support us. We stopped going to our small groups or Sunday schools. We, you know, we stopped returning calls and answering the phone because we just don't want to talk to people. And we become disconnected from others. Which leads us to the final thing that suffering can do in our faith. And this is the most severe of all. It, it can lead us to a place of denial. Uh, verse 5, Paul says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul was worried that this affliction the church was going through would actually lead this church to simply walk away from everything that Paul had taught them. Suffering when it comes into our lives can lead some people to a place where they just give up on faith. It's not just indifference, but outright sort of rejecting faith so that everything that came before was in vain. And those are some of the dangers of suffering. Suffering can disturb our faith and cause us to doubt. It can discourage us. It disconnects us. And it can even lead to denial of our faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. Because it doesn't have to be that way. And if those were Paul's worries about what might be happening in this church, Paul also put a plan into place to counter those things. Paul had a response to the suffering. And the first thing he does is he sends someone back to them to care for them. 
Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. And I think this goes just to the importance of fellowship in our lives to keep our faith strong when we're going through hard times. We need one another as believers. We, we, as believers, we can lend each other strength in hardships. I love the quote by Charles Spurgeon who says, Friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. Because you know what? What we cannot or could not endure alone, we often find we can endure together. It's the power of fellowship. And you know what? Few things in our lives will ever be as significant as the opportunity that you have to be there for someone else in difficult times. Someone once said, you quickly forget the people you laugh with, but you never forget the people with whom you weep. And that's what the church is all about. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. As Christians, we are to be there for each other. And that's the first thing we really need to focus on um, when we're going through suffering. And then Paul, uh, that leads us to our next lesson as, as verse 2 continues. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. If we need fellowship, if we need friendship when we're going through trials, this is now what those friends are, are called to do when they show up. And Paul sends Timothy with two charges, two things he's supposed to do, but they both have the same goal. He says, you are to establish and exhort the people in this church. And the word establish there was a word used by the, by the Greeks to, to talk about the restoration of a building. It means to cause a structure to become secure. And the word exhort, again, means to encourage greatly. And the dictionary says that's the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. And in the Greek, it actually means to come alongside someone, how those pictures go together. And again, the Bible tells us that's what we're to be doing. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 11, or verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. And what does that look like in a person's life? Well, when you see someone suffering in whatever situation they're in, you can ask yourselves, how can I help bring their life back to a more normal place? How can I help their life become a little more grounded? What are the, the needs in this person's life right now that I can help meet? And sometimes those are very basic things, like, like cooking a, a meal for a family in crisis, or even doing some household chores, or running an errand for them, or even just writing them a note, or giving them a call to share a kind word. And sometimes it's even just being present. Remember Job's friends when they were such a comfort when they just kept their mouth shut? Sometimes in the suffering, just being present and listening. It's such an encouragement without even having to say a word. And those are simple things, but they are huge help and a huge encouragement to people who are hurting. And we are to encourage one another. But we're also to be educated. Uh, look at verse 4. Paul says, For when we were with you, 
We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Now, one of my most memorable sort of, I guess, memories, stories about suffering uh, comes from years ago, reading about uh, the, the German theologian Helmut Thielich. Uh, he was visiting the United States. He was a famous theologian. And someone decided just to ask him what they thought was sort of an innocent question. They asked, what do you think of America? And his response stunned some of the listeners when he said, Americans have an inadequate theology of suffering. Americans don't know how to suffer, he said. They consider it fundamentally inadmissible, disturbing, embarrassing, and not to be endured. But that's just not what the Bible says. I mean, that's why we need a proper biblical Christ focused understanding about suffering in our lives. And Paul tells us in these verses that was part of the teaching that he gave to this church. He kept telling them, he was teaching them about suffering. And remember, Paul was only in this church for three Sabbaths. He was there for three weeks. And yet, in that time, he says, I kept telling you about suffering. Suffering seems to be one of Paul's main teachings that he passed on to the early churches. And I think that's because Paul wanted to establish them in God's truth, to see their, their suffering through that lens, because God's truth helps people endure suffering when it comes. It gives them a different perspective. And if you want sort of a little take-home application for this point, one great thing that you can do for yourself or for people who are hurting in your life is just remind them of the truth of God's Word. Uh, my wife, Kathy, back when she was sick, um, she would have these, she, she wrote these handwritten cards that just had Scripture on them. And she just, some days when she was really hurt, and she would just go through those cards, all verse by verse, passage by passage, again and again, just to remind her of God's truth, to remind herself of God's promises to her as a child of God. Those are words to hold on to in hard times. And here's a few of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Romans 8, verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary trouble, are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. 1 Peter 5.10, we're told, And the, grace, uh, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And even Revelation 21, verse 4, where we hold that promise that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Did those words lift your spirit? Well, if you're in a place of suffering, they probably did. Because it's important to hold on to the truth of God's word and the promises of God when we're going through trials. It's important to have a proper theological, biblical understanding of suffering. And that leads us to the final thing that our passage tells us, that we are called to, en- that we are called to endure suffering. And that's, I didn't quite know what to call it, but to see the opportunities in our life of faith that suffering can bring. Uh, Paul says in verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And you know, Paul's telling this church that, you know, the suffering that they have gone through has not hindered their faith. On the contrary, their faith has helped them overcome their suffering. And their response to that suffering has not only encouraged Paul's heart, it has actually led them to a place of deeper spiritual growth. And suffering can do that. It gives understanding to Paul's words in passages like Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, where Paul says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And you know, this is such an important lesson about our suffering. That God can use suffering to accomplish his work. You know, John Piper points out that Christ absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. And he did it by suffering. Christ bore our sins and purchased our forgiveness. And he did it by suffering. Christ provided perfect righteousness for us that, be, that becomes ours in him, and he did it by suffering. Christ defeated death, and he did it by suffering death. Christ disarmed Satan, and he did it by suffering. Christ purchased perfect final healing for all of his people, and he did it by suffering. And Christ will bring us finally to God, and he will do it all by his suffering. And in the same way, in Christ... We need to know our pain is never pointless. The trials in our lives that we experience are things that God can and God will use to drive us to new depths of our, in our relationship with him. And I think we need to understand that we are often put in a place of weakness just so we can discover a new source of strength in Christ. God uses our sufferings in our lives. It's what Charles Swindoll had in mind when he wrote the following. He said, heartaches and disappointments come in all shapes and sizes. Unfulfilled romance, a lingering illness, an untimely death, an unachieved goal in life, a broken home or marriage, a severed friendship, a wayward and rebellious child, a personal medical report that advised immediate surgery, a failing grade at school. A depression that simply won't go away. A habit you can't seem to break. He says sometimes heartaches come suddenly. Other times they appear over the passing of many months, slowly as the erosion of the earth. 
Are you on the brink of despair, thinking that you cannot bear another day of heartache? Is that what's gotten you down? He says, as difficult as it may be for you to believe this today, the Master knows what He's doing. Your Savior knows your breaking point. The bruising and the crushing and the melting process is designed to reshape you, not to ruin you. Your value is increasing the longer that he lingers over you. And that's the way of it in our lives. It's in times of suffering that we often find that God can do his greatest work in our lives. And Paul sees that happening in the Thessalonian church. Suffering was present, but their faith was made strong. And you know, even today, as we still face suffering as believers, we can face it with confidence. We can face it with the same faith that the Thessalonians had. Faith in God's character, that God is good, that he makes no mistakes. Faith in God's word, that the word is true no matter what's happening to us. Faith in God's purpose, that he's using all of these things in our life to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Faith in God's promises, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Faith in God's power, that he can do all things and he can deliver us from every temptation. Faith in God's presence, knowing that he is present and his comfort is with us, even in the darkest moments of our lives. Faith in God's future, knowing that one day he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and every sorrow and sadness will be swept away. And we can face it with faith in God's Son. Jesus, who suffered without mercy so that we might find mercy and comfort when we suffer. And it's possible there's someone here today who feels like suffering's at their door. They're feeling overwhelmed or overburdened or overloaded. And they're probably asking questions and not getting a lot of the answers. And I don't have any of the answers you're seeking either, but I can do the one thing that matters even more than that. And that's, I can point you to Jesus. Because even when we face trials, even when we go through that furnace of suffering, even when our dreams have crumbled, even then Christ is the one who makes all the difference. And he continues to be our hope. So when life brings you pain and suffering strikes your soul, we can remember Christ and remember that our hope in him cannot be shaken. Let's pray. Father God, this is a big passage this morning with so much to think about and so many things to consider, but, but Lord, we are so thankful for the other believers, for the people in our lives who can come beside us and support us and encourage us when we get to a place of suffering. They are such a blessing to us. And Lord... Even as Pod, we have so many fond memories of those people who have been there for us throughout the years. And Lord, sometimes we get separated from those people, just as Paul was. And, and Lord, it's, our hearts long to be reunited. But Lord, it's, it's because we love them. And, and Lord, what a difference those people make in our lives when they are present. And Lord, I pray that Lord, as we walk in faith, that, Lord, you would just continue to, to help us to be there for each other. Lord, that we would have that fellowship and the sharing of our lives with one another, that, that we would be supporting each other and encouraging each other. 
as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that, Lord, we would help carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we see all around us. And Lord, in so many ways, that is a blessing that we are so thankful for. And Lord, for those here right now who feel like they're in a place of affliction, who feel like they are suffering, that Lord, that there's something in their lives right now that feels too big for them, and they're overwhelmed and Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would surround them now with your comfort. I pray that you would surround them with friends, fellow believers who can encourage them, who can pray with them, who can point them to the scriptures so that they can hold on to the promises of God. And that, Lord, I pray that even in the midst of that difficult time, that, Lord, you would be using those circumstances to help them grow deeper in their relationship with you. Because, Lord, even our suffering is an opportunity for you to go to work and do your work in our lives. You ease, you ease even the hard times to accomplish your purposes. And that, Lord, in all of our suffering, we pray that our eyes would be focused on you, that our faith would be established in the truth of the word of God. And, Lord, we would understand that our relationship with you and our hope that comes from you makes all the difference in those difficult times. And for that, Lord, we just want to praise your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.